Why? Indigenous Words and Ideas with Arcia Tecun. Welcome back to another episode of Why. I've got Atasilua here with me. And we just wanted to talk for a few minutes and reflect on um, pop culture. And I don't know how much we're going to talk about, but we're going to start off with Loki. And we might just stay with Loki, but we might jump into some other things that we've been watching as of recent, such as WandaVision, Dark, The Matrix, which we always talk about, and so on and so forth. But the big thing we wanted to talk about was thinking about time and thinking about time and space generally, but also thinking about different concepts, dare we say indigenous concepts of time and space as a starting point to analyze and reinterpret. And I guess the caveat is we're not necessarily Marvel experts. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, Anta, but at least for me, I think I read two comics as a kid, and that was of the X-Men. I'm a Marvel fan in regards of the movies. Yeah. Um, same for you or different? Did you read I'm something? a Marvel fan as well, but I mean, Loki is kind of a break off of as far as movies. But at the same time, when, I, when you watch Loki and you see the scenes breaking off, I didn't even remember where it was coming from, but... Other people you asked, it was like, oh yeah, that's from this That's from this particular, this specific Avengers movie. And I was like, I don't remember that. Yeah. So that's the disclaimer. We, we're fans, but we're not experts of, of the Marvel universe. So we're just kind of interested observers in that yeah. sense. But I did read the, the Harry Potter books and watched all the movies, so. Okay, that's, that's, another, <laughs> that's another one. I haven't, I haven't done that one yet. So well, Yeah, we're definitely not doing that one. <laughs> so one of the things that we were both talking about when we were going through watching the first thing that kind of stuck out to us was the TVA yeah, and yeah. what that represented. So what, what, what was your... Yeah, so spoil alerts if you haven't watched it, but if you, if you haven't watched it, but... If you haven't by now, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been too long. <laughs> and if you have watched it, this, this might be... This might, this, is, this, this might be good for you. So, you know, the TVA, the Time Variant Association, right? And so Loki gets captured by the the Avengers and then gets a hold of the Tesseract and is able to escape. And that's kind of the starting point of the Loki the Loki series. And so the Loki series starts with Loki escaping and then he's captured by the TVA, which or the timekeepers who are kind of the enforcers of time who work for the TVA. And so Loki is taken to another dimension of the TVA and is put on trial. And, you know, before he goes into trial, he has to stand in line and he watches a video of kind of about the background of the TVA. And it's like, in the beginning, there was chaos and, you know, there was huge intergalactic space-time war. And, you know, there were three timekeepers, these three godly beings that end the war and bring everybody within an eternal an eternal timeline. And within the eternal timeline, you know, nexus events happen and there are timelines that break off of the internal timeline, which is an infinite number of timelines moving forward in a linear way. Um, and nexus events happen where where time is kind of how would you explain it? Time is I'm moving my hand. Splinters out. Yes, times. You know, there's there's a variant that splits from time, which which wasn't supposed to happen, and so the 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 purpose of the TVA is to catch these variants, which are people, and then bring them back into this eternal timeline. And so after we watched the first video, because Daniel and I and his family watched the video, watched the watched Loki together, 
you know, I slept on it and then I woke up in the morning and I, I saw Daniel and I was like, this is, this is just colonization. Oh, in the beginning there was chaos and, you know, we, we had to bring the world together to civilization. We had to educate them to become civilized in this eternal timeline. And, you know, these timekeepers are basically the ones who are over all of it. And so I told Daniel this and just from that one discussion, after we watched the first episode, it just kind of, every single episode we watched, we kind of just thought more and more about time. And it just became more and more theoretical. And then, yeah, now the, now the first season is over and we'll continue to talk about how the show played out as far as episodes and whatnot. So I'm not sure if this is the right thing, I just Googled it real quick, right? So it's Time Variance Authority and we have timeline monitors, right? And the way that they police time, which interestingly, right, to police time, you're policing people, yeah. and the bodies that embody time through what they call pruning, right? And then when you see the line, and if you get lines of divergence off of the timeline um, that branch off, they're pruning it, right? So there's that metaphor of like pruning a tree or yeah, a bush yeah. or a branch, right? Or disciplining, yeah. containing, controlling, yeah. Um, Categorizing—these <laughs> um, are all, you know, kind of descriptive. Yeah, but in the show, in the show, yeah, in the show, when they when they capture these variants who break off of the eternal timeline, you know, they bring them to, you know, essentially it's just court, and then they're tried, and then they are, what is it called when they kill them? What? Oh, they're pruned. They're pruned, which essentially in this first episode, you're like, oh, they're, they're they basically just erase them, right? Yeah, that's the assumption. Yeah. Right, later on we'll find out that they end up in different places. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the first thing I was just going to just add to what you were saying was um, one of the ways that we can, uh, and again, I'm not saying that this is the intent of the show. Yeah, yeah, this is This is our analysis, <laughs> right? So thinking about colonization and the role that time plays in colonialism, there was that book that we both um, encountered recently, The Colonization of Time, Ritual Routine and oh, Resistance yeah, yeah. in the British Empire by Giordano Nani, right? And I think this came out 2013. And looks at, in particular, the way that the construction of time in the 1800s, the 19th century, by the British Empire was in creating and controlling globally through an idea of time. And one of the most, one of the things that it brings up that's the most kind of resounding remains or remnants of that colonial project of time is the seven days mm. in the week that we have today. The names of those days. <laughs> and also the clock is the other one. So the clock and the seven day week are some of the most pervasive kind of enduring legacies of the colonial project of time. But then it also made me think because you're bringing up the, the creation of a story and a narrative, made me think of another scholar that's kind of looking at British nationalism was Benedict Anderson, and we talked about imagined communities and nationalism, and he talks about how the role of the clock and calendars and publications were so important in creating a narrative, a story, a reality that would reinforce the inception of nations. So for those who may have not have known yet, surprise, surprise, Organizing ourselves as societies in the idea of a nation is a new thing, <laughs> okay? Anderson talks about how with the collapse of kind of the overarching power of the church in Europe, 
what we would consider Christianity, in some cases, depending on how you're looking at it, would be linked towards kind of present-day Catholicism. With the, the collapse of that kind of supreme power around the region, there's the new church, if you will, the new religion, if you will, <laughs> but nations have to create themselves out of creating stories about themselves. And he talks about how oftentimes they would take a point from a deep historical past that maybe was not necessarily connected or linked to the present, but would be used to legitimize the present to make it seem as if the nation was always there, <laughs> as if the nation was eternal, the nation was always present. Yeah. And this is like the TVA, right? The TVA yeah. not only is constructing an idea of time and a singular timeline, it is disciplining those that diverge from it, and it's organizing. So in essence, time is about control and power. Yeah. And this is a particular way of thinking about organizing time. Anyway, those are just a couple yeah, of Yeah, I mean, this, the same thing happens in, you know, America, in America, like forefathers, independence. Same thing happens in Tonga with Tatu Itonga and Aho Eitu and, you know, all these different things. It's because the creation of the nation state is centering the, the elites that kind of have created this new narrative and this new timeline for particular people or nations to, yeah. to follow. Yeah. Oh, and Guatemala in there too. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember, there's there's one anti-colonial resistance hero for the Quiches, Tecunumán or Tecunumán. Well, there isn't a whole lot about him, but we have records of him. But he was appropriated by the Guatemalan nation as a national hero to represent independence from Spain. Yet the people gaining independence were Spanish-descendant elites <laughs> who ended, ended up controlling the country. Yeah, yeah. And so they appropriated an ancient symbol that actually was contesting them to reinforce their own legitimacy. Yeah, yeah. And so this is something that nations do in one way or the other. Yeah. And part of that is time, right? And you think about national holidays, <laughs> one of the major markers of time, so on and so forth. And when you diverge out of that, so when you normalize a particular rhythm or, or temporal reality, and then on the other, you punish or discipline those who diverge from it yeah, yeah. because they are challenging it. You think about the people who have been contesting Columbus Day, for example, yeah. throughout the Americas, or Cook's arrival here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and throughout other parts of the Moana. Or even Christmas. Another one. Like they're saying, oh, Chris Christianity, like Christmas, as far as like Santa, all these different things, you know, it's, it's not Christian because it's rooted out of, you know, pagan rituals and other, a lot of different ideas coming together that eventually becomes the narrative of big fat Santa red blah 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 presents. Yeah, and that was a Coca-Cola invention. <laughs> yeah. right? So you have all these things that have been amalgamated together but yeah, yeah. what's important is the story of creation. Yeah. Like you mentioned. And the story of creation in the case of the TVA was these three timekeepers that saved everybody from a multiverse war. Yeah, multiverse war. And that if there isn't a if there isn't that order then there's chaos. And yeah, you think yeah. about any modern nation-state today, yeah. the promise that is often given by state power is a promise of protection and safety. However, for who and from whom <laughs> is then the thing that kind of complicates that further. So anyways, that's 
time as colonization, the TVA as a metaphor of colonial time, and then those who enforce it. One thing that Atta mentioned the other day was we're drawing, we're going to jump over to the Matrix universe for just a brief moment, is, you know, we always refer to agents, and this is from the, uh, particularly the first Matrix film by the Wachowskis, uh, where when you're in the Matrix, which in this case we'll say is modernity, yeah. as a metaphor for modernity, coloniality, check out previous episodes for definitions on that, all of that's controlled within there by agents, right? But How, any, yeah. Go, go. But anybody can be an agent. So if you, if you watched uh, The Matrix, the first Matrix, they had to remove that, that device out of, out of Neo. Because I think, I, I, don't, I don't really know because I haven't really read too much into kind of the theory, but that device is attracting them, but also I think that's how they, they become agents. The agents can kind of take over them and kind of enforce the Matrix when things aren't going the way that it wants. Yeah, so the bodies of anybody in the Matrix within the program, within that reality, can be taken over by an agent at yeah. any point in time at any place, yeah. which is why... Everybody who isn't unplugged <laughs> is potentially an agent. So you could be friends, yeah. but when it came down to it, they might dob you out or they might turn yeah. you in as a metaphor because in the case of this case, right, the agent literally possesses that body yeah. to take over to enforce the rules of the Matrix and the order of the Matrix. Yeah. And the reason why we like the Matrix too is because both Atta and I read into coloniality theory and one of the, and this comes from... Um, the Peruvian sociologist Aníbal Quijano um, st starts it off, and there's a bunch of other people that jump into there later on. But that with modernity, meaning kind of a post-Columbus world, you have a colonial matrix of power that yeah. it, that exists globally, and that being that there's multiple systems kind of being fused together and reinforcing each other, and then being uh, transplanted and forced on a global scale in a way that's unprecedented. But anyways. The agents of the TVA, you could be a variant, yeah, yeah. but then sometimes the variant itself becomes the biggest enforcer or police yeah, yeah, yeah. of other variants. <laughs> so it's a very interesting yeah, metaphor yeah. there as to how things play out within a variety of different communities and in the society that we live in at large. Yeah, yeah. And that's hegemony, right? The fact that you can get other people to do the work for you through the power of culture, <laughs> through the power of ideology, through the church. <laughs> or church <laughs> or philosophy or whatever, right? Because then you could be at the top, but you're actually not the one enforcing it. Yeah. You have people who are on the lower rungs of this hierarchy yeah. that are the, the who you depend on to enforce this logic, this timeline, if you will. Yeah. And so when we when we're talking about class and billionaires, you know, and we're talking about there shouldn't be billionaires at all. And is you know, it's not actually the elites who are defending themselves. It's a lot of the middle class who are kind of like, no, you know, I could get there too, or you know, this dream of like, if if there can't be billionaires, then I could never be a billionaire. But you're probably never going to be a millionaire either. That's a really good point. That reminds me. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm just gonna pull it up because you saying that reminds me of something I saw today on the Atlantic. And it has to do with consumerism in the U.S. Now, it's not quite to this level here in New Zealand, at least in my experience. Yeah. However, with COVID, it definitely started to get this because there was shortages of toilet paper and uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. And that, that was not just a U.S. phenomenon. But here's the, the Atlantic talking about, uh, about this. American shoppers are a nightmare <laughs> is the name of this title. And it says, 
generations, American shoppers have been trained to be nightmares. The pandemic has shown just how desperately the consumer class clings to the feeling of being served. Amanda Mole writes, For Americans in a socially isolating culture, which is another part of power, right? When you can isolate people into individuals when we are, as a species, communal, like we've evolved and adapted and culturally developed ourselves for, like, millennia, beyond millennia, as communal, communal peoples, right, to, indi- to become isolated individualistically is another <laughs> form of control because then you have to link into the nationalist narrative, you have to link into these really large narratives that are less meaningful than your local communal village, family, community-based, neighborhood-based, however you want to go on. Anyways, she goes on to say, the consumer realm is a place where many people can most consistently feel as though they are asserting their agency. Mole explains this is not a feature of a healthy society. Even before the pandemic pushed things to further extremes, the primacy of consumer identity made customer service interactions particularly conflagratory. Being corrected by a salesperson, forgotten by a bartender, or brushed off by a flight attendant isn't just an annoyance for many people. It is an existential threat to their self-understanding. Close quote. If your self-perception is predicated on how you spend your money, then you have to keep spending it, especially if your overall class status has become precarious, as it has for millions of middle-class people in the past few decades. Mo continues, quote, Although Americans at pretty much every income level have now been socialized into this behavior by the pervasiveness of consumer life, its breakdown can be a reminder of the psychological trap of middle-classness, the one that service worker deference to consumers allows people to forget temporarily. You know deep down that you're not as rich or as powerful as you've been made to feel. (laughs) Your station in life is much more similar to that of the cashier or the receptionist than to the person who signs their paychecks. (laughs) Close quote. Just to, because you reminded me of that, as far as the motivation, and this could be along the lines of race, class, even indigeneity, as far as what we push, what definitions we police or or don't in order to uphold a connection to a larger idea that may not be meaningful really when it comes to your everyday life or what actually impacts you at a community or communal level of social relations we've kind of diverged a little bit um i'm gonna blame you for that one atha (laughs) but let's jump back real quick to um what disrupts this so if there is the tva we have all these things that motivate control and that gets people to do the work for other people yeah, at various yeah. levels, even when that's the genius of it. I mean, it's evil genius, but yeah. get other people to do the work for you without even paying them. That's a whole other level of power dynamic <laughs> and control, right? Yeah. All right. So there is something that disrupts this, however. Yeah. yeah. And this emerges in Loki. Go. Well, episode, episode two? two. So episode two. So Loki goes to, you know, this time court. And essentially what Time Court is, is everybody is... What is it called again? Gosh, I can't remember. The TVA? What is it called when they... Uh, oh, they prune you. So everybody essentially is pruned when they go to Time Court. They're like, oh, this is what you did that what, that created a nexus. You shouldn't exist. We're going to prune you because, you know, you can't go back to where you came from because you know too much already. Anyway. And so Owen Wilson comes into, <laughs> comes into the show... Comes into the show and, you know, he sees Loki and he's like, oh, I need Loki because he can help me with something. And the judge is like, fine. But the judge wanted Loki to be pruned. And so they allow Loki to be taken by, the, by Owen Wilson, who's one of the enforcers or, or whatnot. 
And then uh, Loki finds out that there is a variant trying to, trying to destroy the TVA. And you know the and then what happens is he find oh that's this is actually episode one, and then what happens is he finds out that this variant that they're trying to trying to catch is actually another Loki Loki variant. And so with that right, like this other Loki variant, right, begins to reveal all kinds of possibilities. And this is where we are entering into, again, I'm not a physicist, yeah. but but my understanding of multiverse yeah, versus yeah. universe, yeah. right. Just think linguistically, universe, a singular universe, yeah. right? Which would mean that if you interact with another version of yourself, you, you couldn't in the same timeline, right? You could only interact with a different version of yourself in the past or the future. You couldn't actually interact with... There, there would be all kinds of chaos that would emerge out of that But, but if there's a singular yeah. universe. But the singular universe of Loki is who Loki, what Loki looks like now, like... That we know of now. Yeah, the main character, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So Loki represents a universe in and of itself, and then we learn of the multiverse, right? The yeah, many, yeah. or the pluriverse, yeah, yeah. if you will, if you want to think about um, the Zapatistas and then the, the pluriverse, or, you know, the multiverse is that representation of, wait a minute, now we have Sylvie. So they go after the variant, who's another Loki, right? Yeah. And then they're going after the variant, and the variant is like killing the enforcers, and then, you know, Loki go, finds himself, himself face-to-face with the other variant. And then you realize, at the end of that episode, you realize it's a woman. <laughs> but then at the end of the episode, she escapes through a portal. And then Owen Wilson sees Loki, sees her escape and sees Loki. And then Loki escapes with her. But they think that he's going to, yeah. So that represents, right, this multiverse of possibilities yeah, yeah. of different versions of yourself yeah but what we then started talking about is well it is you but it's not you yeah because there's a possibility of a whole other version of yourself that is no longer you yeah at the point of time that they actually cross paths in this multiverse right so it it disrupts also a variety of things but one of those being the gendered possibilities of ourselves within you know, branching out into a multiverse and branching out of a kind of disciplining timeline that's regulated. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, you know, what I took out of it is, you know, Loki meets the female version of himself. And so when we're talking about the eternal timeline, you know, Loki is on the eternal timeline of, of only being a particular gender or whatever it might be. And so what, what the eternal timeline is doing is it's, only, it's keeping us from our, if we're, if, you know, if we're masculine or if we're male, it's keeping us from our female counterpart. Not saying that, you know, this or that, but it goes to the idea of, of you know, if we're, if we're male or if we're cisgendered or straight, you know, that's all we can be and that's, only, that's the only thing that we can be. And that's what we see today is if, you know, issues of, LGBTQIA plus, you know, when these things happen and people people create nexuses and become variants off of the eternal timeline, it's automatically we bring them back. Yeah, so they're being disciplined back into yeah, yeah. the binary of coloniality within gender and sexuality. Yeah. But then you also have, like, I mean, this is one thing that isn't as clear in it because, again, we're fans, but there's also gaps, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they don't address race so directly yeah, when yeah. it comes to how divergences from 
the notions and conceptions of whiteness and white supremacy are also disciplined within our kind of modern colonial experiences of time as well. to me as well was the way that Sylvie is disrupting things for the TVA, the way Sylvie is able to continuously hide from them, and it's eventually discovered that it's a Nexus event. Yeah, yeah. And a Nexus event in the series is an apocalypse, or an apocalyptic event. Yeah. And for me, that was very interesting <laughs> because it made me think of multiple concepts, really, but um, because I work primarily within the Moana and Oceania, but also have this lineage and ancestry to Mesoamerica, those are kind of the two primary points I begin to think about that phenomenon of a nexus, right? The nexus is this fulcrum, this in-between point, but it's also a, a, a connection of networks, uh, depending on how you define the word nexus. Yeah. But I began thinking of, like, in the Mayan concept of zero, for example, Weish, which I've talked about in the past and other episodes, isn't nothing, it's everything and nothing simultaneously, mm -hmm. right? It's an immense amount of energy um, that is produced <laughs> through a focus of colliding points of time and space, if you will. And at the same time, I would, you know, again, venture out to say that the Tao of Taoism is a similar, if not equivalent, idea in which the Tao is conceives, at, my, at least my understanding, that time or temporality consists not only of events in nature, but that originate out of the eternal Tao. Nothingness that is fullness. If we want to jump to the Moana, uh, in particular, Angafakatonga, we have Noa, or Ngofua, which is the neutralization of energy, is how I would, one way I would interpret it, which is a calibration of mana, potency, uh, and, or again, just one way of interpreting it, and the protections around that potency. So Noah oftentimes is interpreted contemporarily as zero, numerically, but I think we need to think about Noah and Lofua as zero, more similar to the Mayan concept of zero, Waish, or even the Tao of Taoism, yeah. in that it isn't nothing, but it's everything and nothing simultaneously, and so that you, you have this high energy point so jumping back to Loki, that's why that what was resonating with me is these apocalyptic moments that have occurred previously or now or in the future, depending on how we want to talk about time. But an apocalyptic moment is one in which time and space are neutralized, right? And again, looking at how time is socially constructed within particular cultural contexts, an apocalyptic event suspends all social temporality because the cataclysm, the chaos, sh stops and shocks the functions of any society at any point in time. Yeah. But then we can also think about this kind of cosmically or ecologically, any neutralizing point in between a season, um, in between, you know, a tectonic plate point where we get earthquakes mm -hmm. or whatever. These cataclysms, right, are, are focus points, are points where 
this high energy, and because time is suspended as we understand it or experience it in that moment, Sylvie's able to hide. Yeah. And they can't even find her because she's not recognizable within the timeline. Yeah. Because she is existing in a moment where time is collapsed. Yep. Which then we realize when people are being pruned, they're ending up in a nexus void. Yeah, yeah. Where there is no time because it's where time is being authored. Yeah. And when we think about, again, this is, you know, time exists in very different ways depending on our context. Yeah. And I remember being at a time thinking, you know, not really questioning the linearity of time that we experience within our modern society. And then I remember thinking, oh, well, time is cyclical, you know, because we have these cycles of time and reoccurring things, whether it's seasons or events or whatever. But then I, you know, was questioning that, and that expanded to thinking about time in spirals. And I think that was one of the ways in which at least my ancestors conceived of time, and I think many other groups as well did, is thinking about spirals of time. And part of that is because there is a linear experience of time, but the experience of time is going to be dependent on the conditions that we're in, our physical conditions, yeah. our social conditions. I mean, I don't exercise very well, but I try. <laughs> but I'll tell you, when I exercise like cardio, time is long. <laughs> it extends in ways versus when I'm having fun or having a different kind of moment. To give you an... Do you remember Deep Blue Sea? Did you ever watch that movie, Deep yeah. Blue Sea? LL Cool J. LL Cool J has the ultimate line of thinking about time when he says you know you put your hand on a hot stove a minute feels like an hour put your hand on a hot person you know i'm gendering it depending on who the listeners are <laughs> put on a hot person that hour feels like a minute right so we experience time in very different ways yeah when we think about music we experience music in a linear way because you have the beginning of the song and you got to move through the song to get to the end of it however the song itself exists as a whole even though we experience it in that way, then when you sing it again, that would then create that first spiral, if you will, <laughs> right? Or, or if we're thinking about seasons of time, rainy yeah. season, dry season, that's it's it, we're experiencing it in a linear-esque way, which is why you know we can be conducive to that. But then it's also spiraling. But then I begin to think, and you and me have talked about this, if we're constructing time yeah. based off of our interpretations of what we're experiencing in the world. However, we're positioned in the world <laughs> at a particular moment in time and space, if you will, then there is no time. And that is zero, right? The yeah. nexus is the reality. Yeah. The void is the reality. Noam Ophua is the reality that we're constantly coming back to. That balance, the Tao, the Waish, that recalibrates us. And to me, this is something that happens through ritual. And ritual is something of my interest because of my research uh, interests and, and practices and kind of part of everyday life but when you have those moments where time is collapsed where you no longer are experiencing time in the same way is because you entered into another way another temporality another yeah. reality it's because of noah mofua yeah uh Weish, Tao, right different things have calibrated so time is suspended yeah and so on one hand, you disrupt the timeline through that, but on the other hand, you realize that time itself, as it has been constructed through the TVA and the timeline, <laughs> is in a nexus void. So they are authoring, constructing, creating time 
because they are in a site of neutrality where time is suspended, where yeah, there is yeah, yeah. no time, and there is all time simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Which is why they had to go there to disrupt it in order for a multiverse to reemerge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like this is very random, and I'm—I just thought of it, and it might not make sense if I, as I explain it. But this is—I'm thinking about just this concept of patience, you know, patience of like, you just need to be patient. For sure, for some people, you know, you know, my patience is different from what your patience would be. For me, patience is time, as as far as far as like, things that don't align with our own sense of time. Okay. Because some things that I don't have patience for, you do. And so when, when we have, when we come in with different times or different rhythms and they don't align, I think that disalignment is kind of where impatience is created. And that's why when some people we can talk to for a very long time and we, you know, we reach the stage of, we sync, synchronization. Yeah. Where, you know, and dating is a a perfect example or love. Like, oh, you meet the person and, like, I stayed up all night and I talked till 3 a.m. in the morning. It's because, you know, you are synced within a similar time that they are. And then you create love and all these different blah, blah, blah. Is there someone you want to tell us about? Any shout-outs you want to give? Not at all. Not at all. I'm a very, I'm a variant time, I'm a variant rhythm. Okay. Patience or a conflict of patience is the way you're framing it is a temporal dilemma, right? It means that there are different time spaces, different temporalities, different conceptions and experiences of time that are colliding. And because they do not align, it results in impatient kind of reactions. And if you've been conditioned to one kind of time, (laughs) you're going to be impatient with anything outside of that. And so maybe one of the lessons from that is thinking about, one, if you collapse time altogether, the patient's dilemma in theory would dissolve. Yeah. And the other, in, the, in, the, in order to reach that, you have to become fluent, if you will, in the language of multiple times. Yeah. In other words, you have to traverse the multiverses of our worlds in order to be able to have the knowledge and skill set to calibrate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Daniel and I are both in our 30s, and, you know, <laughs> uh, but for me, it's, you know, there really just isn't a lot of people I don't like anymore. Like, as far as, like, I don't not like anybody, because of the age that I'm at, I just don't have time for them, if that makes any sense. <laughs> like, when, when people, but when you don't have time for somebody, which is me, when somebody tells me about somebody and, or somebody does something to me that doesn't align with the time that I'm, you know, I'm working with, I'm like, I got no time for them. To me, they don't exist because they have no time. And I know they exist and I know they have time, but cross me and I got no time for you. <laughs> oh, now all of you who are wondering where I have been. Oh, 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 Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're leaving that, we're leaving that one. But, you know, like, to, we'll wrap it up because I just realized the time that we had scheduled <laughs> has already elapsed. <clears throat> so there's way more stuff that we could talk about. We could get into our, our kind of amateur physics 
um, and a few other things. And we didn't even talk about WandaVision in the end, um, but there's a lot of really interesting things there as well for us to kind of think about. Maybe we'll, I don't know if people are interested, maybe we'll do it. Uh, the last note I'll just throw out just real quickly because you, I don't, you made me think of it when you were talking about having time for people or not. It made me think about people as time themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. And closing it up with Loki, like that's one of the ways that they're doing. They're, they're pruning time by pruning people. Yeah. And I'll throw out one last thought to think of, and this comes from an article that um, Dr. Tevita Kaili wrote called Tavani, and um, it's based on Tavaism, previous episode, you can check out if you're keen on that. And he talks about, uh, maybe not in these words per se, but how I interpreted that article was he talks about how we embody time. And he talks about in the Tongan language how referring to people in regards to chiefly rank or lack of, it's about proximity of space. But that proximity of space is defined by time such as who was born first, right? <laughs> so the elder sibling in one case, for example, would be born first. But being first means that you are the oldest, which gives you higher rank because you are holding on to and embodying more time in the conditions of the world we're in. Whereas the younger person is lower ranking because they are the potential of the unraveling of time, yeah. but have yet to unravel that time. Yeah, yeah. So they are lower ranking. Yet when they become older, they become <laughs> the elder to those that are younger. So in a, it, for me, it made me think about how we embody time. Now, if we think about chiefly ranks, often titles are also linked in that way. Like an elder, you mentioned the Tukitonga earlier, right? This is the elder sibling title line, if you will, to the later title of the Turihatakalawa and the later line of the Turihatakalawa. So those are ranked in forms of time, but in relation to familial or kinship relationships. Yeah. The point being, we are time. So yeah. it's kind of interesting that that Tongan conceptualization of temporality and yeah, time. Yeah. If I jump back to the Mayas real quick, anciently, um, and I think there's echoes of this still today, the T'i or the totem or the Nawal of Time is authority. Yeah, yeah. And so the people who have the the kahal or the high chief, if you will, the chiefly person equivalent, the paramount chief, yeah. was in a sense had authority because they held the most time. Now that doesn't necessarily mean in like physical age, even though oftentimes that would be the case if we think about indigenous cultures and how we refer to elders, but also could be about holding knowledge of time. Yeah. Right? So the transmission of knowledge, story, cosmology, ecology, seasons, calibrations of time and alignments. So if you held time, yeah. you have authority. Yeah. Anyways, that's my last thought. <laughs> what are your last thoughts? And we'll, close well, it's, well, it's funny that, you know, people are time because I, I'm, I'm moving towards that as well as far as like we are time. Because me, my parents are so... Me, I would represent my own eternal present. And my parents are literally my past. And people after me, which, you know, people born after me, essentially it would be, you know, the generation of my nieces and nephews, the kids that are my siblings are having. They're literally my future. And so when we have the future meeting the past, which is my parents and their grandchildren, and the interactions that they're having, and kind of the issues that you know, Daniel and I have with our parents and his kids or my parents and my nieces and nephews, you know, future meet, meeting past. Like, I see that in kind of the ways that they love them and the ways that they give them. 
And I'm like, where was that time <laughs> that you're giving that to me? But when I think about time in that way, you know, it's future meeting past. It's, it's past meeting future, knowing that, you know, they are the ones who are going to be carrying their future and their posterity. Of you make a good point. <laughs> uh, a, a, a message to all parents, treat your kids like they were your grandkids. Exactly. <laughs> And if the past and the future are there in the present simultaneously, yeah, yeah. is there a past and a future? Yeah. There was no future if there wasn't a present. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean, give me presents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, that, and on the last note, if there is no time, because it's all there, then you're never late. <laughs> okay, that's our final note. Thanks for listening. Um, and if people are keen, we'll get you on again in the future. If they don't like you, they're going to have no time for you. <laughs> all right. Till the next one. Thank you. Malopito.